This podcast is brought to you by, by, by Civic Tech Innovation Network in partnership with Voice of Vets. Hello, I'm Mabatu Munzi and your host. Welcome to the fourth and last episode of our four-part series featuring women social entrepreneurs. In this series, we have featured women social entrepreneurs in the civic tech space, looking at how they are using their tech innovations in strengthening their social enterprise activities and how through their civic tech initiatives, they mobilize resources, skills, innovation, and communities for better social service delivery. Today, I'm speaking to Baratang Mia, who has 18 years experience as a tech entrepreneur, consulting startups as a content creator, product designer, and visual communicator specializing in user experience and mobile product management. She is the founder of Girl Hype Coders, an initiative created with the purpose of teaching young women to code and also mentoring women who are pursuing STEM careers. Welcome, Baradang. Thank you very much, Maratu, for giving me the opportunity to be part of the podcast. I really appreciate it. It is our absolute pleasure. Now, you've been in the tech entrepreneurship space for over 18 years. What has that been like for you? Wow, what an exciting experience and a learning curve. I think it's one of the best thing and decision that has ever happened to me. I'm continually learning, continually experiencing new things, meeting new people. And, you know, a huge development for me as a person because tech evolves every day, tech changes every day. And I've seen the involvement of the internet, the technology, the products as the way we started from right up to now. So I've been very fortunate to watch the landscape of the development of the industry. You speak of your journey and how the tech space is constantly changing and evolving, how innovations are also rapidly changing. What has your journey taught you as a woman in particular in the tech space? I started Girl Hype 18 years ago. So when I started Girl Hype, I'll talk about that because that's what got me into tech. I was working around with business cards and business spaces, telling people I'm teaching women how to code. Nobody really cared about what I was saying, except the men in the tech space itself and except the academia. The academia sector is really what kicked me in the beginning because there was no women studying technology at the time. There was very few of them. They were more attracted by the story I was saying and I partnered with them. As the tech evolved and as the story I was telling began to make sense, I started learning more about the difficulties and the challenges that are faced by women because the space was so designed for men and it was very male-dominated. So the culture, everything was just challenging. But at the same time, fun. (laughs) I can't take the fun away from what I was doing. It's a welcoming space. And and I know that's very contradictory. It's like you are in this space where when you enjoy building tech and producing tech, it's so fun. It's exciting. It's super fast and it's challenging every day. You never know what to expect. But at the same time, because you're dealing with men, they have their culture, they have their everything. And the space is not built for a mother, a wife, a woman, but as a tech producer. And I think that's where the the contradiction comes. As a tech producer, I'm more excited. It's challenging. It's fun. But as a, a woman in the space and my challenges individually as a mother, wife, and what we're not catered for. I totally get that and I get how the two, so your career and you as a woman, how they can sort of give you different 
experiences or feelings or, or challenges and yet you enjoy being both at the same time. And so this would then lead me to asking you about your personal values and how they have influenced how you have done entrepreneurship. Because I would assume getting into such a male-dominated space, you've had to, I would assume that it meant that you are pretty assertive yourself and you had very strong values that would guide what you do. Please tell us a bit about that. I had accepted who I was when I entered the tech space. I was a mother and I wasn't going to change that. So my family values are very strong, founded and grounded. The little women that were in tech, 80% of them didn't have children. And I wouldn't want to say men only because it sometimes it would be women who were giving glances when I bring my child to a space. It was a very tough space to be in as a mother and, and a woman at the same time. And I valued family. I wasn't going to give up on that. I won't change who I am so that I can fit into a very alienating environment. So I see human beings as human beings. I, I don't see... Uh, before I see you as the color of your skin and what you stand for and who you are and what you have, I see you as someone I can collaborate with, I can work with. And I've always put that human element and the human values in front of me. And that helped me a lot because in the space that I'm in, and especially being in Western Cape, it can be very racially divided and racially dominated. But if you know what you want to achieve and where you want to be, you will work with people who really sometimes you feel like, you know, I didn't come here for that. But because you and I have the same goal and I know that you can add value to what I want to do, I'm going to put aside my feeling about your racial connotations and what i would still tell you i'm a very assertive person i would still person that that came out a bit unaccepted or and and, and very sexist or racist but and people had to learn that I, i'm not there to change their racist mentality or i'm there to develop women i'm there to build a product so other things really don't interest me so that, that assertiveness and the understanding clearly that what i want to achieve I want to collaborate with you. I'm not here for politics has really grounded me and made me a better person in this space. So what I'm gathering is that by you maintaining who you are and not being apologetic about what you want and your values and what you bring to the table, you've been able to navigate some of these spaces. That is what I'm gathering from you. And I want to speak about the COVID-19 pandemic and how it has influenced how you do business and how you lead. How has it been like for you in the tech industry and how has the pandemic disrupted your work in particular? For me and for Girl Hype, it was, wow, finally, Everybody hears what we've been saying, the digital inequality, because you must understand the structural differences in South Africa. People have to wake up from 30 kilometers away from their work, minimum, 80% of them it's far than that. This, the resources, the equipment, everything is far away from the people. So you come from the township and you go into town every day to work. And what we've been advocating for as Girl Hype is to say, let's take the resources, let's bridge the digital divide. Let's give the poor internet and let's get women into the tech space. Now, all of a sudden, COVID-19 comes. Voila, 
people are cannot work remotely. The same women who in the workplace are contributing a lot and now they're sitting in their townships and they don't have proper access to internet. So for me, it really showcased what I've been speaking about all these years. It did not really revolutionize what we were doing. It revolutionized the industry to say, hey, listen, there's digital divide. And if you don't include people, it's going to impact you and it's impacting the economy and it's impacting everybody around it. It opened doors, created sort of an opportunity for us. It was tough for the girls because most of um, the, our clientele, uh, we work with schools. So most of the schools were closed and most of the schools don't have proper intent. So the girls that we work with didn't have computers at home. So there was a, a moment of like six months break where we were just running around asking people to donate computers and also that really took space a little bit but now what COVID has done is that it has really elevated my pitch I don't even have to say anything I say to people um, we need to bring internet to the communities everybody agrees so it's it's not the advocacy that I used to do I don't have to do it anymore thanks to COVID it, it brought both negatives and positives but it just created such a huge opportunity for us to even pivot beyond um, just focusing on high school girls to going beyond just women and girls focusing on youth employment and creating more partnerships. And I can see the future is really looking bright for us at the moment. I'm so glad to hear that for you, you have been able to take on those opportunities because number one, you were ready. You have always seen the digital gap, the inequality in being able to access some of these resources. Specific examples you are able to share with us on, you know, some of these projects around COVID-19 pandemic. Yes, we have a partnership with a company called FIS. And when the pandemic started, they just specifically called me and said, Baratang, what can we do for the girls? Okay, what do they need? So our girls get a stipend every month for the employment opportunities. So they, they're studying Python for a year. If the pandemic came at the rate that we were going, because we, they don't pay anything. Our pro, let me just state that our programs are for free for all the girls. We depend on our partnerships with sponsors and corporate funding. So all our funders all of a sudden turned around and looked at us and said, how do we help? I think one of the biggest one was FIS and dimension data. They really pulled us off and the girls could have access to internet at home. Our part, our intense number increased. So we had 10 interns. Now we had 70 in three different provinces. And that's the partnership between Economy and Yes. The number of companies that took interns to work remotely because now remote work is, has improved and people understand how to run it. It was such an opportunity for us to start having partners that we wouldn't normally get, especially from corporate side and build our internships program. And then the other thing is what we've realized is building tech does not, might not necessarily mean knowing only software engineering and how to code. So we've increased the diversity of our product offering. We've got a new partnerships that we formed with a free code company where they teach people how to build products with no code. If you have a product and you want to build, they will teach you how to build it without even learning software engineering. Within eight weeks, you'll have your product. And it's quite a fascinating project. And so one of the opportunities that came was opening up the the usage of 
technology to say, I, we can build technologies and far much better without just focusing on software engineering. So what kind of product, product offering do we offer? So we've really tuned what we offer in a plate. Okay, so this really has been a great opportunity to expand on what you were already doing. In fact, we we started talking about Girl Hype before we actually told our listeners what, what Girl Hype is about and what it does. So do you mind? Please tell us about Girl Hype, why you started it, how it has been for you. So Girl Hype is a social entrepreneurship. We partner with corporates and whoever has money to give to us to change the lives, economically empower women and girls through technology. How it started, it started focusing on high school girls and school girls, in fact, from age 9 to 18, teaching them how to code, teaching them how to use computers in school so that when they get to universities, they know they can make better career choices and they are helped through the journey to be able to choose computer science and they settle into institutions. So there's a lot of mentoring. There's a lot of exposure to women. Um, Why I started it? I think I always say I I was alone in my little dreams And, and the generation that I grew up in, we had no mentors. There was no successful people except teachers and nurses. That's what I saw. And I knew I'd, I want to be beyond that. And I couldn't pinpoint what it was until I got to university. And even when I got to university, even coming from a township school, it was the first time I touched the computer. And, you know, I thought to myself, this, there should be a loophole in the system and we can do something as Black people for our own people. And as Steve Biko said, um, we need to go back and change our own communities. That was my value, my value that I'm going to go back to my own communities, empower my own people. I thought, you know, I should focus on girls because girls have doubled the work. They have home economics activities. They do take care of the children, take care of what. So let's give them double and elevated access to education. They are the ones who stand to fall pregnant, drop out of school. So let's give them an advantage, mentor them to to tell them that there's better, there's better than what you are seeing in your communities. And it has worked well for 18 years. But I mean, the past three years we changed, we added internships. Uh, We started employing girls and giving them internship in our company and partnering with companies. So when they graduate from us, we teach them coding to another level where they can enter as junior software developers. So our main aim was to bridge the digital divide that existed and to bridge the tech uh, gender gap that exists. Researchers prove there's no women, there's not enough women in the tech space. And that goes further than just not enough women. It goes to, it, it trickles, it bears lots of other challenges where there's not enough innovation for women. There isn't, even innovation that comes out for women doesn't really help women. It ends up damaging women. So we needed to, we need to increase that, diversify the product design and include different mindsets. And I think as Girl Hype, we play a huge role in making sure that that happens. That's fantastic to hear. It it really sounds to me as if, you know, from when you were in university, you made a decision 
to say you want to go back and plow back into the community you come from, inspired by your own experiences, of course, and what you found to be lacking or of disadvantage to women and girls. I see that you have also partnered with companies such as Mozilla and the UN, creating different tech innovation challenges. What were those about and what did it involve? How have they been for you and the girls? What an experience. It, it was really mind shifting for me. Um, so how I got to work with the UN and Mozilla and what there was a step before that where I went to the US State Department to go represent um, South Africa as a tech woman alumni. So I got an award in 2015. So I went to the US and I spent six weeks in Silicon Valley getting to understand the tech space and meeting all these tech founders of Twitter, Facebook. And, and it was really changed mindset. It was mind-blowing. But there I, I networked a lot and I met relationships with people at Mozilla. I, I got to understand they Now, internationalization of projects, I got to learn about it because my mentor, I was placed at Adobe. My mentor worked in localization and internationalization of projects. And I worked very closely with her to understand how they take assets globally, uh, assets from their side and scale them globally. So um, obviously it became second nature for me when I came back and I lost my job. I resigned, but uh, there was this now drive to say there's more bigger things to be done in South Africa than me just being a business developer in a small scale. So within three months of that, I reached out to Mozilla and they said, yes, we are planning to implement uh, women and girls projects in Africa and we would like to partner with you. And that partnership evolved to us building a pilot project that would be rolled out in the whole of Africa. Now, the project that we did and designed was rolled out in the whole of Africa. I learned a lot about internationalization and, and scaling bigger projects. You know, like when you when we plan, with Kelhype, I would plan for schools in South Africa. But then I was planning for how, do we, how are we going to roll it out throughout Africa? And should we want to copy it and take it globally? How are we going to do that? And it's one of those things where you learn how the SDGs work. I, I learned how the sustainable developmental goals work. Why is it important for companies to become part of the global compact? And how do you approach such funding? Corporates have to understand what's in it for them. Should they partner with, because we were dealing with SDG 5, which is equality, focusing on women and girls. And then we were dealing with like aid, innovation and equality, bringing equality education. So I got to understand the sustainable developmental goals at the global scale, what the world is looking for. And that then took me to another level of, me now doing the work that I do of policy advocacy. Even now, during COVID, I was working with UN or with we the internet writing how digital, how can we include communities on internet governance? And all that evolved out of my work with UN, understanding projects at the bigger scale and internet at the global scale. What does it mean? Artificial intelligence that's not governing. How does it impact us? Should there be policies that are written at a global scale? Okay, now this is where my passion lies. Am I confused what the question said? Am I still on track? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're definitely on track. And I love the passion that comes across when you're talking about this and what you have learned over the years. It's really inspiring. And I also think, you know, your ability or your choice to not sit and not reach out 
to a Mozilla, for example? Because a lot of people may say, oh, but you know, what if they don't accept me? What, what if, you know, I'm not good enough? And you took that opportunity and you ran with it and it exposed you to uh, global issues. And I think that is really fantastic. We definitely need to hear more stories like this of women who choose to make a difference because I think that is exactly what you have done. You've taken your passion and, you know, you've shared it with the world and the world responded and you have therefore been able to garner more resources to ensure that the impact and your reach is bigger than what you would have ordinarily done by yourself, which really goes back to your personal values and how they have influenced how you do entrepreneurship. So well done to you and congratulations on all your awards. I think it's really, really great. Earlier, you spoke about your community and the impact. Are you able to share a bit more with us on that? So I come from a hybrid of three communities purely because of how I was raised. My mom was a domestic worker and she had me and she was working in Tlaxstop because I was born in Tlaxstop, but her mother lived in Rustenburg. So I spent my early childhood in, in Madikwe. If I say to people Madikwe, now unless they, of the game reserve, they will know. But um, where we lived, it's just a small community. I, I, I go there every now and then these days. But you, for the first 10 years of my life, I lived around this sort of agricultural communities. But I could see people going to work, disappearing and coming back for months. And, and then the second part of my life, I lived with my other grandmother. There, it was very agricultural, rural areas. You go to these communities, till now, there's still no proper internet. There's still no proper broadband. The girls there, still pregnancy, still at its highest peak. Finishing metric, it's still one of the biggest things a girl would have achieved. And then I, in Jan Camp, it's where alcohol rate is uncontrollable amongst girls. So the challenges that South Africa wants to shy away from, that the legacies, and we don't want to talk about such legacy that apartheid left behind. You see them alive every day. You know, I live in Cape Town. It's a, it's a glossy city. The challenges that a girl in Cape Town faces, a woman there is still an, an, a woman who has to bow down to a man at that period. The way men talk to women, the way girls are being treated. I took one of my mentees from Girl Hype to Jen Gem. We couldn't walk the street because the harassment she faced was just beyond measure. And, and you know, it's, it's little things that... For somebody else who grow up in a city will take for granted. And for me, I say, I will go back to those communities till I turn blue. And when I think of the girl I would have become if I was never moved to Tlaxdorp, because I, when I was 16, I moved to Tlaxdorp to my grandmother and the dynamics just changed. And even I was very fortunate that between age 13 and 14, I met a woman who just changed my trajectory of life and things just happened differently. But, you know, we have these rural communities that have nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. And we live in the cities. And when we go back home for a month, you have to pack your life into these problems of your community where there's no proper internet and you just have to accept it. The kids don't have access to good schooling. Just uh, We can't live like, we can't accept that. And for me, even if it means just creating internship for 10 girls, I know that it's not just the 10 girls. It's 10 girls plus their families, plus their children. I know that 
as girl hype we've reached almost 300,000 girls and taught and gave them a different direction in their life and with the work that we did with Mozilla and all our other partners it can go to a million or 500,000 but you know one girl that we employ from there from Jankem is already a mother she hasn't she, she's going to start university but she's already a mother and what are you doing you changing one girl's life plus another generation it's two or three generations that you are changing life i'm living proof of three four generations being changed so i think as south africa we shouldn't we should never ever in our life forget that south african black women were treated as fifth class citizens there was a chain of it's a white male a white woman a black male and an african woman they were pushed to be domestic workers we shouldn't be celebrating that and ever ever when we see one south african black woman we should go to our rural areas and townships and see what's happening in those townships then we won't sleep because if we don't change those women's life we are impacting 60 70 generations to come and that for me is my is what makes me not sleep education of these women and empowerment of these women because we will that's the only way we are going to change south africa i never actually thought of it that way from a generational point of view it's very inspiring how passionate you are about the work that you do and the why and the fact that you are not just doing it for the person who will benefit from the internship but also for their descendants as well you know and that is really amazing well done for that i think we really any woman take any mother who's just giving birth to a child i'm not saying anything about men because i don't i don't work with men i have no i work with men but i don't have that personal close interaction with them like i do with women not that men are not doing good work out there but find these young girls who are left with a child some of them have been have two or three kids and the the man is gone because they're still young they're all struggling uh, they're still finding themselves and the social structure of south africa is so broken that it's very difficult to pin down a young boy who's 18 and having a child to you are going to be responsible for this child because our morality doesn't answer to that now they're leaving girls with children who carry that burden it's the grandmothers and the mothers and if we don't help this girl we are perpetuating a cycle of a broken society and i might be talking tech every day but imagine if you get one good job one for that generation one girl get a very good paying job they change the whole dynamics of what would have happened to the women you empower a woman it's the truth it's not a story you are empowering generations and you are changing communities life i've seen it i'm a living proof of that because if some people never paid attention to me how what would have happened to my children you look at my children the schools and everything they've attended if i never had opportunities generations from me would have still gone through that pattern because south african black men or whatever it is the society hasn't really gone down to the t to pin down young men to say if the girl fa- we blame girls for failing we don't do anything to boys they go on they finish universities they marry another girl forgetting that there was a chain of other babies they created and there's no system to to fix that and we don't talk about such things why because women are still being blamed for the mistakes of their future you spoke about government and public policy and how we can influence all of that or the work that you're doing in that space and your passion for policy development do you think government is doing enough to support women led uh, social enterprises in tech 
They used to, not anymore. There was a tech woman in business, TWIP project by the government, and that project was very successful. That's like a long time ago when I started business. They used to be focused on women-led tech businesses. Uh, there is some sort of support, but I don't see money or anything going towards women. And the reason I can say they used to, it's because Girl Hype used to be supported by TWIP. We had partners, partnership where we were running projects in universities. If they could easily access the funding that goes to CSIR and partner with you and make sure that the projects are successful. There's a, they have a, a project called Techno Girls that they do where they take girls to corporates and give them exposure to mentorship for three weeks in a year, but it's a three-year program. So those things were there in the beginning, like early stages of tech in the 200s when I started in 2002, three, four, five. And then when the government became what it is today, I just find that it's, there's too, much, too many problems and too many corrupt people. And the policies are there, but people don't know how to implement them. And women entrepreneurs come and go. There's no stability. That's why I'm part of BITF, Black IT Forum. Because I think one of the greatest assets that's very underutilized in Africa is that most of our generation is between 19 years, 20 years old. And how can, what can the government do to, to change their lives and impact them? You hear them the saying we are doing everything, but I don't personally think it's done enough. I think the private sector needs to come in, you know, more private sector investment into our products that we develop. When we innovate something new, the private sector needs to buy into it. So they, they retain us as, as a clientele. They retain young women as talent to the continent because if that woman learn a lot about entrepreneurship, they're becoming a better leader. And should the entrepreneurship not work, they would make better leaders in, in the industry uh, because they've learned uh, resilience, they've learned leadership, they've learned, like you were saying, approaching corporates and building, um, uh, going to Mozilla and saying, I learned that I have a seat on the table. I had to be resilient and learn. So I think, I personally think if we teach entrepreneurship and make sure that corporates should come to the party, it's not only the government's job they invest in programs like ours they invest in making sure that they give women proper business especially in the tech world um the vcs they invest in women's solutions personally i don't think much is done because i don't know women who go home and not know what they're going to eat the following day i was in an incubator and in this incubator techstars for that for two years it was sponsored by batley's and in the two years of the techstars running there was never a woman-owned startup that was approved for the tech startups. And now you, you're talking about giving a, a startup millions of rents to, to run. And they're taking 10 startups globally. And five of those come from South Africa. Not even one was a woman-owned startup. And these are startups that end up being scaling globally. Twelve two co cohorts, there was not even women-owned startup. Research now shows that only 2% of the funding from VCs goes to women-owned startups. So how do we expect women to be innovative when we are suffocating them with no funding? And even if policies are there, people don't know how to implement. So government flashes all these beautiful policies, but women-owned startups don't have money. So government is clearly not doing enough at a local country level. You spoke about the SDG, Developmental Goals and the policy framing around that. Do you think from a global perspective, organizations such as the UN can support countries and local initiatives such as Go Hype and, and others to ensure that we are working towards a more equitable and just society 
where everybody has an opportunity to succeed. It's, it's through these global partnerships that are got to be recognized by South African corporates. So I, I've, I've been a beneficiary of a UN project. So I, I do know that they really mean it. They are in business and they will get corporates and everyone to pay attention to what you are doing as a woman. I think if we could just follow the model, the policies and partner with them as a country and as corporates, we'll achieve more. I just want to add to say that, you know, it's very it's a very contentious issue when you talk about a development because of a person or an organization and an opportunity. So UN cannot work without South African businesses coming into the party or global corporates coming into the party. And they cannot work without civil society, us, the people that are doing the work on the ground as uh, girl hype, as code, girl, girl code, as I know some of the organizations that are working. We all have to come together. So us as girl hype, we cannot achieve what we want to achieve without corporates and government. The three has to come together and somewhere, somehow work together to make this successful individuals in our society. So having worked with UN and seeing the global corporates, how they participate when, when they are working with UN and at UN level and how they release funding. I wish that could be done at a local scale because it's very difficult to localize it, to take it to a local scale when you've worked with an organization like Mozilla, but when you want to approach them directly, it's a bit complicated. You have to go via UN. And I think the technicalities that requirements of meeting those needs the qualifying criteria sometimes women take long to meet the qualifying criteria and that's why what mentorship is for we, we need to help them to meet the qualifying criteria to work with such organizations mm, it's the bureaucracy right uh, we've seen it in the red tape we've seen it even now with the COVID 19 funding schemes how difficult it has been for small enterprises to get the support that they need to get through this it was just bureaucracy you know i i from black it forum i know that not even one of the organization got it so it was a, a very very tough bureaucratic criteria and that scale up imagine how far it goes Baratang, thank you so much for the conversation. Um, I would love to, you know, have more of these conversations. I think your story is inspiring. And I think the fact that you really have used your own life, you know, to advocate for women and why it is so important to ensure that women get to have more opportunities. You understand the historical inequality. And, and I think maybe historical is an inappropriate word to use because we are still experiencing some of these challenges even today. And with that said, for taking time to have this conversation with us, it has really been wonderful speaking to you. That was Baratang Mia from Go Hype. I hope you were inspired and enjoyed the conversation. Look out for our next episode where Tepo Chabalala, Project Coordinator of GemLab, will be facilitating a discussion around reclaiming African narratives through storytelling. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by Civic Tech Innovation Network in partnership with Voice of Vets.